Welcome to the Women Encouraged Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Berendrecht. We are all about growing in Christ and being shaped by His Word, so I'm delighted to share these conversations with Christians who love the Lord, love His Word, and are pursuing a life of faithfulness in Him. I'm praying this episode is a blessing to you and that you'll be encouraged to apply the gospel to this topic and walk faithfully with Jesus Christ. Welcome to the conversation. Hi, friend. Welcome back. It's a gift to be able to welcome back to this show my friend Abby Wedgworth to talk about grief and loss and how God's character informs and comforts our hearts. Abby just released a book called Held, 31 Biblical Reflections on God's Comfort and Care in the Sorrow of Miscarriage. It really is a wonderful little devotional book focused on Psalm 139 and helping women to process the grief of miscarriage. This week's episode is really a tender topic for many, but I am very thankful that this conversation is ultimately scripture-focused and very hopeful. As a woman who has known the pain and grief of miscarriage, I can personally attest to the fact that Abby's words offer so much comfort and care, both in this book and in this episode. Even if you have not experienced pregnancy loss, this episode is full of truth and hope in processing grief, and we hope that you will listen and consider how you might be equipped by scripture to offer hope and love to someone who is walking through grief. Let's get started. Abby Wedgworth, I'm so thankful to have you back at Women Encouraged because you've been here before, but I, this is such a treat to have a guest return. I love it so much. Oh, wow. I'm very grateful you're having me back. I remember during our interview, my initial interview for Women Encouraged, I remember saying something about growth or seeing how much I'd grown or something. And you're like, yeah, and you'll listen back to this podcast and think I've grown so much since then. (laughs) And it's really true already. So thanks for having me back. (laughs) I'm so happy that you're here. And also I would maybe just toss this in there that that episode with you is the most listened to episode. Oh, get out of here. Of all of our episodes that we've released. Yeah, yeah. it's our most listened to episode. And wow. I'm super excited to have you back because I think that your words have resonated with a lot of people. And I know that this is going to as well. This topic today, we're talking about grief. We're talking about what God teaches us about bringing our hearts to him as we grieve. So this is part of our series on matters of the heart. And so we're talking not just about miscarriage, which will be a part of this conversation, but really about kind of the overall concept of grief and how we process. And so as we do this, for anybody who hasn't heard from you before, or isn't familiar with you, would you just introduce yourself and share some of your story with us? Yeah, sure. So I'm Abby Wedgworth. Uh, I am a wife and a mother to two young boys. And um, we live on the South Carolina coastline. My husband sells real estate. And professionally, I write and speak and enjoy doing podcasts. I recently became a podcaster, thanks to the help of many gracious friends who host them. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so there's, I just released a podcast to 
kind of support the launch of my book, just resourcing women who are experiencing pregnancy loss with common temptations and struggles they might face. Just it's a guest podcast and it's been a gift to me, uh, if to no one else. So, um, yeah. And we spend, I spend our days with, or I spend my days with our boys and serving in our local church. And I'm really grateful for great friends here in Hilton Head. So yeah, just really content and grateful for the life that the word has has given. And I came to faith when I was eight years old, but I feel like I had what a favorite pastor of mine, Joe, Joe Novison, would call a grace quake in my sophomore year in college, as I feel like mm. most kids who grew up in the church do, um, where I just kind of understood more mm-hmm. of what what grace meant, understood my desperate need for Christ. And um so I, I went on staff with RUF, Reformed University Fellowship, after college, met my husband, and yeah, now we now we live in Hilton Head and do nothing. Well, I guess this is, I guess I am sort of doing professional ministry, but life doesn't look like what we thought it would, but it's better than I think either of us could have imagined. You have the ministry of motherhood right now. Girl, tell it. Yeah, yes. and I'm actually <laughs> amazed by the doors the Lord has opened. So like our plan was for me to go to seminary when we finished the internship and David was going to be a police officer. And then we just, yeah, we just didn't do that. It just is funny how I didn't go to seminary. And so I thought, well, that's, that's it. Like RIP ministry dreams, but the Lord has been so kind. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. Yeah, And it's amazing how, like you were saying, you just don't know what your life is going to look like. And Mm -hmm. the things like sometimes you just lay down those dreams and you don't know where the Lord is going to pick them up, but he picks them up in ways that, and makes them more beautiful than you could have ever shaped them to be. I've found that to be really true in my life. Yes. And the experience over time leads to this just feeling of settledness. Like, yeah. okay, Lord, I'm just in the backseat. I thought I was in the cockpit, but mm. let's go. You're wise and kind, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's so reassuring and comforting to just entrust those things to him and know that he has something so much better than I could ever plan. So Abby, as we get going with this conversation about grief, can you share with the listeners uh, just some of what God has taught you about the necessity of bringing your heart to him as you grieve? You've been through a lot. We have you know, some similarities in our stories. I have several losses in my story as well. And mm-hmm. I would really love to have you share about what God has taught you and and that part of your story, but also about this book that you have recently released, um, Held, and just what you're praying the Lord does with this book. Yeah, I think I had a particularly narrow view of grief, uh, just thinking of it only in terms of people dying, basically. And honestly, prior to my own experience of losing the life of a child in my womb, I, I really thought of it as people dying outside of the womb, that that, Mm. that's what grief is. It's a response to that. And so really held was born out of a desire. Like when we lost that baby, I started writing because I felt so compelled to do so because I had no idea, Bethany, no Mm. idea how sad it was or how traumatic it could be. And I, you know, I would hear people say like, oh, we lost a baby at six weeks or you know, we lost a baby in the first trimester and I would think, oh, how sad that must be really disappointing. And you have to start Mm -hmm. over. But I had no idea the, the hormonal swings that happened afterwards or, you know, all these different factors go into, to what the magnitude of that grief looks like, like how long you've been trying and whether or not you have children and 
yeah, just the circumstance around conception, but really that's, that is a person, it's a life, a loved child and, and a child made by God with purpose. So mm. my own grief and reaction to loss just compelled me to write because I wanted people to know. I wanted people to understand what we were walking through. So I blogged in real time. And then as I did and wrote articles for outside sources, I began to hear from so many women who were walking through something similar, asking for resources and not to sound uh, prideful, but to say that I'm very careful not to recommend resources that are not Christ-exalting, Bible-centered yeah. Bible and, and gospel-driven. And there just was so little out there. The Inheritance of Tears by Jessalyn Hutto is so well done, but she and I have talked and both of us would say, this isn't something to hand to someone right away. And so I wanted something to hand to someone right away in their grief. Yeah. And so- yeah. Uh, held was going to be something that was produced through email and then ended up getting picked up by a publisher. Uh, and it's a 31 day devotional just to walk women through those hard days of shock and grief where they're asking lots of questions about the goodness of God. And it's rooted in scripture. Psalm 139 just walks through the passage for, for 31 days through those verses. And I think since then, my since our loss, and obviously since writing a book about miscarriage and the hope of the gospel in in light of it and specifically applied to that particular grief, my view of grief has broadened. And mm. the Lord has taught me a lot through that. So I, I'm able now to recognize like, oh, this is grief. Whether it's my day is not going how I thought it would. My season mm -hmm. of life is not looking the way I thought it would. This is not what I thought motherhood would look like. This is not what I thought marriage would look like. Just whatever, any sort of hope deferred causes grief. And so he has taught me so much about that because I'm a suppressor. I mean, I'm a feeler, but I don't like to bring things before him. I like to work them out and then bring right. them to him. And grief is it's an uncomfortable emotion. It makes you, it is powerlessness. That's what it is. It's a reaction to, I am powerless to change this, fix this, correct this, undo this. That was my first thought sitting in that doctor's office when they told us that our baby had passed was just like this, I've got to make this untrue. Like I need yeah. to rewind to yesterday and make this not be true. And I think we feel that way about marriage when it's disappointing. Like what was I thinking? Did I marry the wrong person? You know, like mm. we want control and power and, and that feeling of powerlessness is something to bring to the Lord because the world is not as it should be. It's not as he intended it to be. And so we don't need to shy away from those experiences that highlight this is not, this is not what God intended. Yeah, This is not what God designed for his good, great creation. And even though when we think about powerlessness in terms of what powerlessness would look like in a perfect world, for us, it would actually just be rest and not, you know, feeling like God didn't have our best in mind. And that's kind of the temptation a lot of the time when we yeah. feel powerless. It's like, first of all, I messed up. I caused this or something like that can be a, a, a huge issue for us. Like you were saying, I want to go back a day and do whatever it takes to make this untrue. Right. I think you're right. I experienced a lot of shame over mm. any of those negative emotions. Am I not accepting God's will? Yeah. Am I, you yeah. know, and then also guilt. Did I cause this? Am I responsible for this? Is this a result of my choices? And so I think anytime where we feel like you know, we, we feel powerless, but ironically, we feel responsible or we don't like the mm -hmm. reactions. And so yeah. those things, they tempt us to, to sort of turn away from the Lord. Yeah. When really, I mean, 
all throughout scripture, he's inviting us to bring grief to him. Yeah. Um, and I know we'll probably talk more about that. For sure. I think in the more recent year for me, like it's been five years since I've lost a baby, but in, in the more recent years, I've had a lot of opportunities to maybe opportunities isn't the right word, but experiences, you know, Mm -hmm. situations where I've had to process intense grief and same kind of, like you were saying, you know, that narrow view of grief. Sometimes it's like, why should I feel this way? I don't feel like this is worthy of grief. Like it's just this or it's just that. And, and to see that God actually allows me to understand Mm -hmm. that, that hope deferred does bring grief, that powerlessness is grief. And, when I feel like I have no control over my situation, the only thing I have control over really is bringing this to the Lord. I think that that is where we find comfort. And one of the things that comes through so well in your book, Abby, and I honestly, I wept through the whole thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to go back through it and maybe just use it to journal some of what I've gone through with um, other losses. And I know it's not, that's not why you wrote it, but it's just like, it, it meant so much to me for so many reasons. Mm. And I just so appreciated how you do bring up the importance of focusing on God's character. And I wanted to ask you to share and explain why that is so important to allow God's character to shape our response to grief. Yeah. Well, first of all, I just bless the Lord for your experience of that resource. And that's what you would say is true of it because that was the goal, was that it would not be so baby-focused or Mm person-focused that people forget the most important thing that informs how we experience grief is what we believe about God. Um, And so the book walks through Psalm 139, and I think it's helpful to think through this question, but that Psalm, David highlights three attributes of God, his omniscience, that nothing happens apart from his knowledge, his omnipotence, that nothing happens without his consent, his purpose, that he's all powerful, uh, and his omnipresence, that nothing happens apart from him being with us. Um, And if we are in Christ, then his presence with us is not just general. Like he's not just like around us because he is everywhere. If we are in Christ, His presence is in us by the power of his spirit and the way he is with us is different. So if, if you think about any of those attributes apart from Christ, they're terrifying. You know, you like, you think perfect, holy God, sinful man. Mm. If he knows everything about me, oh my goodness, I'm a run, (laughs) you know? Exactly. Yeah. And then you think, whoa, he's present everywhere. There's nowhere I can go. And that's basically Mm. what David's saying in the Psalm, which actually that portion is characterized by most Bible scholars as a lament. Like, where can I get away from you? I I can't even escape you if I want to, but if we're in Christ, it's great news that we can't escape him because he's with us and for us, even if we're trying to get away from the thing that's good for us. You know, you think about a two-year-old pulling from an adult holding their hand crossing a busy intersection. (laughs) Like we can't escape him. That's good news because of his will for us is good. And, you know, you think about his, his omnipotence, that he's all powerful, that's terrifying if he's not for us. But when we know that he, that because we are in Christ, when he looks at us, he, he's full of love and purpose that's good for us. And so those attributes that would be terrifying if we are in Christ become comforting in grief and suffering. So we, yeah. we realize that his, his knowledge and his purpose 
and his presence with us cannot be experienced or divorced from his goodness and his mm-hmm. care and concern for our good. So so those those things shape our response to grief because it changes a clenched fist to an open hand. Yes. Because oh, we, we don't know what's good for us. And the more we see of God's, you know, you think about how you respond in grief, right? Powerlessness. Maybe, maybe you have just been told that you lost life in the womb for the sake of what we're talking about. Yeah. You think, I had no idea. I, and maybe your doctor says the baby's been dead for two weeks in your, in your womb. And you're thinking, how could I not have known? Okay. You're confronted with your limited knowledge. God's infinite knowledge is a comfort in that moment because Mm -hmm. nothing's a surprise to him. He's not surprised by it and he's ready to care for you in it. And he knows you perfectly. And so he's able to care for you perfectly. And then his presence with you is a comfort in grief when you are lonely because it is so intensely lonely. I don't care how comforting your friends or your spouse is. No one experiences grief the way you do. And so for him to know is a gift. Uh, And his presence with you in untellable moments of trauma, you know, whether that's blood Mm -hmm. loss or how a baby leaves your body or you know, ugly moments in response to whatever kind of grief that you feel like you can't tell another person. He knows and he's with you for it. And then do you think about nothing happening outside of his power when you can't even think of a solution or what the next step is? He he knows and he's in control. So when you're out of control, it's okay because someone else has control and you think about the rest you have knowing that the person flying the plane you're riding in has a pilot's license. You know, like, <laughs> I don't want to be flying a plane. I don't know what to do up there. But the more that we're resigned to God's knowledge, his goodness and his power and his presence, we experience grief differently. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautifully put. And it's actually, I have a little Psalm 139 anecdote to bring to this. And that is oh, that- awesome. Before I read your book, actually, we had been walking through and processing just a kind of a devastating loss and it was relational and it was one of those situations like, I'm not in control of this. Like, I can't do anything here. Oh, it's yeah. When just, it's another person, that's hard. Yeah. It's yeah. so painful. And so it's a kind of grief that, you know, it's not wholly unfamiliar, but it was still just devastating. And I, I just felt like I did not have the words to pray. And I had gone for a walk and all that would come to my mind was Psalm 139. It was the only thing that I could form in my own head. And Mm. I just praised God for that moment because even when I was at a loss, God brought his word to mind and I just prayed through it over and over. And then a couple of days later, I opened up your book, And I started looking through it and going, you know, I knew that this was really around Psalm 139, but just to have it fleshed out for me in the way that you did was just such a powerful gift from the Lord. And Mm. so encouraging as I continued to process that loss and um, just work through how, like, how do you want me to respond to this Lord? Like, how do I glorify you in this? Because I have no idea what to do next. And one of the things that over the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years of the different kinds of griefs that we've gone through. One thing that the Lord has used in my life so much is that that reminder that he is the God who sees, and that's the God I serve, is the God who sees. Um, and that's just been a truth that I've hung on to. Do you have any specific examples or just ways that you've 
seeing that kind of truth uphold Christians as they go through loss and sorrow, maybe in your own life or story, or just in other people you've observed? Yeah, I think, um, well, particularly that name of God, Elroy, the God who sees, is from the story of Hagar. Um, Yeah. And I love the language. I didn't know this until pretty recently, a couple of years ago, I guess, that when when Hagar names him or calls him the God who sees, it's not just the God who sees her, but the God who looks after her. It's active. Yes. Um, and, the, and the same is true for us. You know, we talk about his gaze cannot be divorced from his help for the believer. Mm. And so his sight means that he's helping. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, so for me personally, this is a little bit of a, a graphic story, not in words, but we used medication to induce our miscarriage at, at home. And um, I thought the thing was over. Like I, it was a very traumatic experience, but the bleeding stopped. And then mm-hmm. several days later, I felt pressure and mm-hmm. there was a baby <laughs> mm-hmm. after blood had stopped, bleeding had stopped for a few days. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, all my friends have have praised God with me that this is over. Mm. Um, you know, I, I called my husband in at one point while I was miscarrying to say, I think this could be the the baby. Do you want to look? I'm not sure. And, you know, then I'm sitting there in the bathroom, just like, who, who can I show this to? Like I took a picture. Mm. It was just this weird moment of like, I don't think I can even bring this up with anybody or mm. show it to them. Like, it's so inappropriate. It just felt mm. so inappropriate and so private. And my fellowship with the Lord in that moment was so rich because mm. he saw. And that, you know, you think the words of David in Psalm 139, your eyes saw my unformed yeah. substance. And so even if if we miscarry and don't even see a, the baby ever, if all we ever right. see is our empty womb on an ultrasound screen, that he saw and there's nothing he doesn't see. Yes. There's no, and so that's so comforting when you're alone in grief. I'm not alone because he sees and I'm not hopeless because his sight cannot be divorced from his good action for me. Yes. That is such a comfort too, because, you know, as a person who has gone through multiple miscarriages before eight weeks, I didn't get to hold my babies. Yeah. Um, and no one sees when. your bump. Yeah. Nobody sees. And 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 to tell people like it it started to become almost embarrassing to tell somebody i'm pregnant before mm-hmm. that time when you think i don't have a right to acknowledge this that it exists before i have proof of it or something like that and it wasn't really until the last two miscarriages that i thought i just need to not fear because the god who sees is caring for me. He's caring for my baby. He knows how long he's numbered this baby's days. Yes. And whether I get to hold this baby in my arms or not, God sees every single day and cares about every single moment. And that that held me up so much through the last couple of losses. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus is not unfamiliar with our suffering. And that's another point that you make in the book so beautifully. Um, would you share for us as well how the reality of Jesus's own human experience with grief uh, is something that helps us to process our loss and pain? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was a neat connection for me in that in that psalm. 
in Psalm 139 where David says, you're acquainted with all my ways. And it just echoed for me the words of Isaiah that Christ was acquainted with sorrow. And it just means so much to me for God to take on flesh, to become acquainted not just with Mm. grief or to bear our sin, but to become acquainted with our grief. Um, And and this particular question has has started to mean so much to me, just considering Christ's humanity and his human Mm. experience. You know, I think of three three places where I really see him grieving that have been a comfort. One is the tomb of Lazarus. Yeah. He knows exactly what he's about to do. He delayed in coming, <laughs> frustratingly <laughs> to everyone. And like Because he loved them, he delayed. Because he loved them. Yes. Who yeah. can understand? But, and then he just weeps. And yeah. he's weeping in in from what I've read in outrage. I mean, he's mm. sad, but also just like ticked about the state of a fallen world and what he's going to have to go through to do it and, and to yeah. undo it. And it just all hits him. And you talk about shame over grief, read John 11 and relax. Like Jesus weeps. Mm. Yeah. And so that's safe to do. And then I think about the garden when he weeps in anticipation of what's coming and mm. he's grieving uh, what he's about to experience. And then the cross where you, you just see grief taking, I mean, what he is experiencing bodily is trauma, but he's grieving. That's a grievous experience. So I think from from just watching him suffer and bear our griefs and also grieve himself, um, we see that we can weep freely in sorrow. We can weep freely in anger. Uh, and sometimes we can weep in anticipation of what's about to happen. But the thing that he shows us and that, I, that he invites us to in, to imitate by giving us his spirit and telling us to abide is to maintain fellowship with the Father in all circumstances, in all reactions. To you, O oh Lord, I lift up my, my you soul. know, fear. Yeah, of, yeah. In, of in my anticipation of what's coming, or I, I right. lift up my sorrow, yeah. or I lift up my yeah. anger. Like I whatever's think, burdening our soul. At yes, that we lift it up, and that's where I think yeah. lament is. Like the Psalms are such a gift. Because they show us how to lament, but even in the case of unresolved lament, David is still lifting up his soul to God. So I think the direction we're turning matters, and Jesus shows us that. That is so helpful. That direction that we're turning matters. That mm-hmm. is, we we need to remember that. At I think at all times when we're grieving, and I and it makes sense then if you think of it in those terms. When Paul says, you know, we don't grieve without hope, mm-hmm. well, what does that mean? Does that mean that we just feel hopeful while we grieve? Well, mm-hmm. maybe not, you know, yeah. but the hope turns us to the Lord. Yeah. 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 One of the chapters or days, I guess, because it's not really chapters, but <laughs> day 10, a very present help that really resonated with me. Like I had said, my last miscarriage was five years ago, but that chapter, just I just applied it to so many things that I've experienced since then, including my head injury, which was a kind <sighs> of loss that I didn't know could be felt the way it did. And yeah. oh man, that that chapter, that pa- those pages just ministered so much to me, Abby. Mm. I... I'm so thankful that the Lord helped you through writing this book. I can't imagine writing this without shedding buckets of tears, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> a whole year of weeping, a whole year. Mm. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, would you talk about dependence on God in the midst of grief? That is just so necessary and so helpful to us. Yeah. You go back to that example of Christ in the garden. Yeah. Um, and when, you know, he prays that 
it would be different or is there another way? And then an angel appears to strengthen him. That's sort of God's answer to his prayer, right? And and I love that language used there because it shows us Jesus needed strengthening, reminding us of his human condition. And I think grief is just an incredibly human experience. It brings us face to face with our limitations and our powerlessness. And our bodies are so connected with our emotions and grief that you know, like lifting a spoon to prepare a meal can feel like picking up a dumbbell, right? Like it's so true. It, and, and it's so true. It's so true. And I remember going into my appointment and being like, "You're probably going to feel like this for six weeks." I'm like, six weeks? I just wanted to work out and get fit again and not have a tummy." And like, I couldn't lift mm. my three pound weights and for yeah. more than like three or four reps because my body was so consumed with what I was feeling. Um, and you see that in Jesus when he, when he weeps as if sweating drops of blood, you know, um, Mm -hmm. that's a normal, that's a normal reaction to grief, to feel that overwhelm. But also it was such a comfort to me as I felt overwhelmed to think about the power of the spirit Mm -hmm. in new and old Testament, how the spirit of God rushes upon people and they, they accomplish incredible things, incredible things beyond their strength because that was God's will for them. And so, you know, caring for a toddler in grief or trying to go to work and concentrating great papers in, in grief or like you, your brain injury, you know, you're trying to function, but also grieving what you've lost. I'm sure that mm-hmm. adds to the fog and confusion. But understanding that by the power of the Spirit, God equips us to accomplish the good works that He's prepared beforehand for us to walk in is so helpful, you know? And so, and so sometimes that means that He empowers us to lift the spoon and make Mm. the meal. Sometimes that means that when we look at our kitchen, it's covered with dishes and we don't even know where to start because we just want to sit down and cry. We Mm. say, Lord, you are my strength. Come quickly to help me with the psalmist. And sometimes it means that the Lord equips us by the power of his spirit to overcome our pride and ask. And sometimes that's the good work that he's prepared for us is to say, I'm going to allow someone else to fulfill the law of Christ by bearing my burden because it is too daggum heavy for me today. And that is such a ministry. Like if you're listening to this and, and thinking, I'm a burden. Like the church needs your season. They need your weeping. They need your weakness to fulfill the law of Christ. And so, so allow them to, you know, remember, keep a list of those people that say, can I bring you a meal? Can I fold your laundry? Can I watch your kids and let them do it? Let them, because that's a way that you, that's a good work that you can fulfill, allowing someone else to, to serve you. And it's a pretty passive action if we can, by the power of the spirit, get over our own pride. And shame can be such a deterrent from from going to the Lord and asking for his help. Like, I should be stronger. I'm surprised by how I'm responding to this grief. But our humanity should not surprise us. Adam mm-hmm. and Eve were created in weakness perfectly to need the Lord. And, and, you know, like the angel appears to strengthen Jesus. So he shows us his embodiment. Um, his incarnation shows us that humanity itself is nothing to be ashamed of that limitations are nothing to be ashamed of. They're just an opportunity to give God glory and say, I am not powerful in this situation. I feel pretty powerless, but you are powerful. So will you help? Yeah, so good. The way that you have explained how to process shame and guilt biblically and to bring it to the Lord has been so encouraging to me to like 
evaluate this biblically? Is this godly grief? Is it, what are, what are some of the ways that you explain that? Could you just kind of lay that out for us really quick? Oh yeah. Okay. I think this is what you're talking about, but sort of like when, when I am experiencing shame, I say, okay, is this, am I, who am I experiencing this before? Am I yes, experiencing this yes. before myself? Like, this isn't how I thought I would be. This isn't what I feel like I should be like by now. Am I experiencing before God? Like, this is shameful. This is clearly mm. against your law, clearly against your will. And so I need to repent of this. Or am I experiencing it before other people? Like, mm-hmm. I'm embarrassed. I feel like I don't belong. And that can kind of help us with our response to mm-hmm shame. So in the in the case that it's before God, um, you repent of what there is to be repented of. And then and then you say, Romans 8 1 has been such a gift to me in this regard. Like yeah. there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So before God, when he looks at me, he sees Christ. If I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me of all unrighteousness and to cleanse me, to change me. There's there's hope there and we can walk away feeling shame-free before the Lord. But then if it's before ourselves or before other people, I think that verse still applies as a help. And that one from 1 John, of course, helps with repentance, but particularly Romans 8, just there's no condemnation for me now because yeah. the creator of the universe, the true Ex- executor of justice, like the, the the truest judge says I'm okay. So like, God. yeah, seriously. So I'm okay. Like I'm okay. And that's really the anecdote for shame yeah. is to experience accepta- acceptance and love from the father uh, who we can call father, you know? So that's, that's been a gift. And then I think particularly just in experiencing shame over grief, John 11 has been such a comfort. I can't tell you how many times I've read the passage, Bethany, when Mm. I've been like embarrassed by my response to something. I mean, it is truly so sad what has happened to creation. Mm. We could, we could be weeping all the time. (laughs) It's true. It's it's truly so sad. And when we're given the opportunity to really see how sad in that moment we can appreciate the gospel so much more. This is what Christ came to undo. This yeah. is what he came to redeem. And so I think, I mean, weep in those moments because mm. feeling the gravity of this sadness and sorrow of this world is it's the gateway to hope. Yeah. You know? So, and I think if if someone is listening and they feel shame over a miscarriage they had five years ago, whatever, like Psalm 139 and just its bold proclamation that the sanctity of life mm-hmm. helps so much with this, like, I can't believe I'm so sad over this baby that I never saw, that I only held for two technical weeks if I was six weeks pregnant or whatever. Like to to know that that was a child woven together in your womb by the Lord is such a comfort. It's a person. And that helped my shame immensely over the grief in my miscarriage. And I think Hannah, I mean, there are all kinds of examples of, of weeping in scripture, but particularly Hannah also, as she weeps in the temple, that's, it's such a ministry to me because the Lord doesn't rebuke her. He remembers her and she's filled with hope even as she's waiting. So I think that's, that's a gift too, but those are just a couple places in scripture that have been a help to me with feeling shame or guilt over grief. That's so good. I have a sign in my hallway that I just kind of had made. It says, Jesus died for this too. 
And I walk by it mm. probably 50 times a day. And Ooh, I need it every time. I yeah, need it every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you were talking about the gateway to hope. And I, I want to just take a minute to talk about some of the characteristics of grieving with hope. What does that look like for a Christian? Yeah, you mentioned this passage earlier, but uh, I think first we have to start with, okay, what is Paul talking about when he says we don't grieve as those without hope? Yeah. What hope is he talking about? And I think in grief in particular, I remember so many times in, in many situations, like true grief says, I can't even think of a time I'm not going to feel this way. It's like so all encompassing. We're thinking, how long am I going to feel like there's an elephant on my chest, yeah. you know, or, or whatever. And or feel paralyzed. Like I, I'm a, yes. I'm a paralyzed griever where I'm like, what now? What do I do? I don't even yeah. know how, like, do I know how to be a person? <laughs> yes. Who, I don't even remember who my friends are. Like, yeah. do I even have any friends? Would anyone want to be friends with me anymore if they knew yeah. the things I was thinking? Like, yeah, it's just like a really dark place. And I think, you know, on those days where we think, I can't imagine a day where I won't feel like this. We know a day is coming. And we wait for it with patience and hope where we experience the resurrection of the body and the restoration of all things. And that's what Paul's talking about. We don't grieve as those without hope because of our confidence in that day. And so our souls wait for the Lord, not to give us the thing we want and not even necessarily to deliver us from our grief earth side, but we wait for the Lord coming on the clouds. Yeah. Grief teaches us to be watchful and to long for Christ's return. If I had to say the number one way that, that experiencing grief had changed me, that's it. Because I pray, come Lord Jesus all the time. And I really want him to. I really want him to come and fix it because I know it. I know more of how sad it is. So yeah, I think a characteristic then of grieving with hope would not look like not weeping. Hmm. Grieving with hope does not mean not grieving. But I think grieving with hope means, as we talked about before, just that our our prayer, um, our processing, our lament, even unresolved, is directed heavenward and spoken with a consciousness of that coming day as a reality. So that when we ask the question, God, what are you doing? Or God, where are you? We remember the cross and we see that day. He has done something. He's not not doing something. He has done something and he's working for your good. And your ultimate good is that day that's coming. Amen. Oh, friend, I'm so thankful for this. For listeners who are taking all of this in and they're not listening to this because they have themselves gone through a miscarriage, but they're listening because they want to grow in ministering grace to people in their life who are grieving. What are some of the things that they can be especially mindful of to offer hope and help to loved ones that are processing loss? Yeah, I love this question so much. And I'm going to share, I actually just outlined an article yesterday sort of answering this question. So I'm going to give you my acronym. <laughs> First okay. of all, I would just say you're you're really important. This person wanting to support and come alongside people who are grieving. I praise the Lord for you mm. because you're that matters so much. And I think the number one preface thing I would say is just, it's so important to not make someone else's grief about you. You may not get to play the role that you want to play. Um, when, when someone experiences a tragedy or is struggling, it might make you question how close you really were just because of where they go in grief, what's easiest for them. It is so important that you're seeking to glorify God as you care for someone and not in it for 
selfish ambition or vain conceit, you know, gaining relational standing or whatever, but it's a place to show up to serve and the word will sanctify you for sure. Like that's been my experience in serving people who are grieving because they often don't have the energy to say thank you the way you wish they did. But here's what I would say before speaking to someone, the acronym is DREAD. So Mm. these are things you want to avoid doing. And it's easy to remember because greeting people dread interactions with other people. (laughs) (laughs) So before you speak, think, is what I'm about to say doing any of these things? D, dismissing. Oh, this isn't so bad. Oh, at least you were early. Mm. You know, or at least you weren't very far along. Or Mm. at least you know you can get pregnant. Or I'm just thinking off the top of my head, like, yeah. Like at least you had a child. Most people don't get even three years with a child or, you know, whatever you would say, mostly they begin with at least. Yeah. Any dismissing talk. And then the the R would be rushing. Am I rushing this person thinking, you know, in, in a few years, you won't even think about this or, or this seems really heavy now, but it's not going to matter in a couple of weeks or, Hey, it seems like you've been really sad about this for a really long time. I thought you would move through this differently. What can we do to make you happier? Mm. Just rushing is never, the Lord, the Lord doesn't do that to us, you know? Mm. And then explaining is really dangerous. That's the E. This probably happened because you weren't ready to be parents or everything happens for a reason, even though that's true. Just any explanation that we offer, what it does when we seek to answer someone's questions, which they may not even be asking. Yeah. is to to move them away from the rest and the peace of the one who knows. And so we have to be comfortable with mis- with mystery. You know, like yeah. we rush because we're uncomfortable with with bad feelings or waiting, but we have to be more comfortable with mystery and say, "You know what? I don't know why this happened." But we know that God's good. And then A is for assuming, uh just assuming that someone's the same as you that they experience the same as you, that they process the same as you. So if you if you say like, yeah, when I experienced this, blah, 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 it's just not a good idea to do that. You can draw from your experience to comfort, but that that assumption, it doesn't, it doesn't usually help. No. And then the last one is so hard because we do it from a place of love, but that last D is for distracting. And and by distracting, I mean encouraging someone to place their faith in a lesser hope. So an example would be with miscarriage, oh, you'll be able to be pregnant again. Or, you know, if if someone is a, a broken relationship that they hoped would end with marriage, like there are plenty of fish in the sea. Yeah. Um, like you'll the next one will be the one or something like just we say things that aren't true. They're yeah. they're falsehoods and they're empty. And the better, the better hope is in in Christ. Like, hey, we don't know what the next thing is, but we do know who holds the future. We do know in, in whose book are written all the days of your life and, and the one who's working everything out for your good. So I don't know if this is, if I don't know if you're going to have more children or I don't know if you'll be married, but one day at a time, you know, in, in, yeah. in confidence and faith. And we want people to feel better but sometimes it's better to feel to feel sad in the arms of someone who's trustworthy than to feel better by cradling le- lesser hopes. Yeah. Honestly, all of the words in that acronym really 
when we engage in that as well-meaning as we might be. And as, I mean, those are real temptations to, oh, to, yeah. to dive into these um, and hope that we can give this band-aid <laughs> to them and, and it will yeah. fix everything. But yeah. that isn't grieving with hope. We're not giving them Jesus by giving them those solutions. Yes. Yes. Precisely. Yeah. I think the one that I probably struggle with the most would be distracting. <laughs> like yeah. not not because I wouldn't necessarily say in those words like, oh, you'll have another baby or anything like that. But I typically think that um that if I'm gonna help somebody through something, like we have to talk about something else or we have to think about something else or, you know, try to is is that the same thing as what you're talking about with distracting? I don't know. Or is it's, that a different kind of I think um, it it can be I think sometimes though, being like, let's go eat some ice cream and take a break. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes that's a, an act of repentance or embracing our limits. You okay. know, like sometimes, sometimes I think that's good just being like, I can't think about this all the time or I'm going to explode. Yeah. You know, like sometimes yeah. it's okay to like, let's, or even the gift of laughter sometimes reminds someone that this isn't all there is. You okay. Know? So like, yeah, I think it's okay to tell a joke or, I mean, depending on your level of closeness and comfort and, right, and what right. moment it might be, you know, but right. yeah, I can just picture a friend with, of mine who usually walks in a, with a smile and something and says like, I brought something, you know, and everybody laughs because she's, you know, she's just chiseling and the Lord has gifted certain people uniquely, I think. And she brings like yeah. a lightness that He's definitely gifted her with. So that's so great. Yeah. I'm so yeah, glad I, you asked that there. I was like, okay, I'm glad to understand that better. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, like, oh dear, is that what I'm doing? <laughs> there, well, there probably so, is a time where it's not great, but I think right. there's a place for saying, like, whew, this is heavy. Let's like eat some ice cream, you know? Okay. Yeah. That's really good to know. Thank yeah. you for explaining that. I'm <laughs> that's my opinion. Happy to... I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't know. It helps me. Thanks. <laughs> good. Okay, good. Praise the Lord. Well, Abby, this has been such a joy and oh, I always too. love chatting with you, but I just this topic is so heavy and I'm so thankful for the hope that your book offers to women who are going through grief and the loss of a child. I've just really blessed the Lord for giving you the heart to do this. And I'm just praying for so much fruit from this offering to him. Thank you. Yeah, that's my desire too. I want to ask you that question. I ask every guest at the end, what has the Lord been using in your life lately to encourage you in walking faithfully with him? Man, I I think probably right now um, it would be community. It's become pretty precious during a time of pandemic, but one friend in particular that just consistently checks in and um, that I'm able to check in with and we're praying for one another, that's just been been a gift. Yeah. And, and, um, particularly because we encourage each other to remember the gospel daily. So that's been really sweet. Oh, that's wonderful. Praise God. Well, thank you again so much friend for being here. I've just loved it. Yeah. Thanks for having me this. I mean, the gospel is good news, isn't it? It's good to think through and meditate on. Yeah. Yes. And I'm really thankful for, um, your voice on the internet to really point women to, the hope of the gospel and to, to the word, where do we find you? Where can our listeners connect with you? Okay. Well, I recently just moved websites. So now it's abbywedgeworth.com, Abby with an E like where nuns live. And, um, then I always had what? to tell people <laughs> black labs are named Abby, which is a Y and 
yeah, I'm Abby, where, like where nuns live. And then on Instagram, just at Abby Wedgworth. Those are my two kind of hubs. Excellent. And we can find your book anywhere books are sold, or is there a specific yeah, place we should check it out? I think so. Um, anywhere books are sold, to Perfect. my knowledge. Yeah. Praise God. Okay, great. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bethany. Friend, I'm so thankful that you were able to join us again. You can find us on Instagram at Women Encouraged, where we share regular encouragement and devotionals. And we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook as well at the Women Encouraged page. In 2 Corinthians 1, we're reminded of the character of God. Our God is the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort who comforts us so that we can comfort one another. And I'm so thankful for the way that Abby shares the comfort God has given her through Scripture. Paul shares in this chapter, verses 8 and 9, how even the deepest suffering that causes us to feel despair is actually meant to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. And this really is the comfort we have as Christians. Our God is writing a story that ends in resurrection. And knowing Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, anchors our hearts. Thanks again for being here.